At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy Friday, and welcome to the Just Baseball Show. I'm Peter Apple, and I am joined with our analytics genius. And, well, his name is Colby Olson, but what I kind of wanted to say is that we are two of the greatest high school pitchers that never played in college, if you think about it. Because I don't know know how the competition stacks up, but I'm willing to call us that. Would you agree? Absolutely not, because (laughs) I played... I think three innings during my high school career at the varsity level. I got hurt junior year. Everything fell apart. I peaked in college at the club baseball level. See, I was trying to hype you up a little bit. You didn't even have to tell them the stats. I mean, who's going to go in and dive in your high school stats? You can't even find them because they're not there. They're non-existent for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) But the great thing is we're going to be diving into a bunch of stats today, especially because we are evaluating a lot of pitchers that we think could have bounced back years. And Colby actually wrote an excellent article on JustBaseball.com titled, I mean, what is the damn title, Colby? We got five breakout pitchers to look for. Give the people a little bit about your article. Yeah, so I dove into pitchers that I think have a, you know, a likely chance to break out in 2022. A lot of these guys were expected to break out in 2021, but they just, you know, underperformed expectations and the underlying numbers are still there for them to break out. And I think a lot of these names won't surprise people, but people may not know exactly how good these guys could be. And we're going to talk about FIP. We're going to talk about XFIP. We're going to talk about a lot of complicated stats. And I could kind of run through it, but there's nobody better than you on our staff to run through kind of what FIP, XFIP, all these different stats mean. So could you just start with that before we break into it? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think to start, so FIP is fielding independent pitching. So it analyzes pitchers based on the strikeouts they get, the walks they give up, and the home runs they give up, right? Those are the three main things that are easily quantifiable. Um, 
XERA adds another layer to that. It adds in the layer of hard hit balls, launch angle, and basically shows the value of balls that are put into play. FIP mm-hmm. only analyzes baseballs that are put that are not put in play, right? It doesn't analyze a fly ball out, a double, a triple, any of that stuff. Um, the big difference between FIP and XFIP is that FIP takes into account a pitcher's individualized home run rate against. XFIP, on the other hand, actually uses a league average home run rate against. So I usually tend to use FIP instead of XFIP because pitchers, some pitchers, while people will say, you know, it's all random, some pitchers definitely have a knack for giving up home runs and some pitchers really minimize home runs. And that's a skill. That is an absolute skill. And we have to use that. So I tend to shy away from XFIP because I think there's just, it closes the gap and, and it's, it closes the gap too much for me. I agree. In general, too, I don't love using expected stats, but I, we even talked about it. Like, I do like expected batting average. Like, I do like some of them, but when I'm looking at XFIP versus FIP, I need to know what you actually did over the season rather than maybe an expected version of that. Yeah, definitely. And I think XFIP isn't really an expected stat anyway. It just normalizes home run rate. Like, XERA, on the other hand, is amazing because it shows if a guy is giving up a ton of hard contact, it'll show that like a guy could be striking out 30% of batters walking only 5%, which is awesome, but he could be giving up 50 to 60% hard contact. And like, that is not good. That is not good. It that can be good. viable, but it's not good. You know, you, you should want to know that. See, I, I, I guess my reasoning for calling XFIP expected was because I was kind of like, I was thinking about the home run to fly ball rate and that is kind of expected. So that's why I kind of put it in that boat, but I agree with you. It's not, technically and expected like xera or x batting average yeah absolutely but you listed five pitchers so we're going to go over those five and then i have two that i want to throw back at you and then you said that you have a bonus pitcher that you want to talk about as well i have a bonus pitcher that i want to talk about he already broke out in 2021 but i want to i just want to bring him up because i think i think people are even underestimating how good he is all right that kind of fires me up so let's start with a guy who I have been kind of all over because the fact that I feel like he should be better than he is and you're expecting him to be better than he is. And he just signed a free agency deal with the Detroit Tigers. That's Eduardo Rodriguez. So why do you see him bouncing back? I have never seen a pitcher with an unluckier season than Eduardo Rodriguez. So I went back and looked all the way back, dating back to 2000. The biggest difference between FIP and ERA in a season. So Eduardo Rodriguez had a 3.34 FIP, which ranked 13th in baseball. He had a 4.77 ERA, which ranked 47th out of 53 pitchers that pitched more than 150 innings. That is a massive gap. So dating back to 2000, Eduardo Rodriguez, that gap between his FIP and and ERA is the fourth biggest. Since 2010, it is the biggest. It is the unluckiest pitching season I've ever seen, right? So this is a guy that strikes out close to 30% of batters. He minimizes walks. He's a guy that only walks 6-7% of batters. And then I thought to myself, okay, there has to be a reason, like we were talking with XDRA, there has to be a reason why he's giving up so many extra runs is there something that FIP is not telling us is he giving up hard contact and the answer is no I was shocked the answer is no he has the 
I believe, 10th lowest hard hard uh, hit rate against in 2021. Along with that, he allows home runs at a league average rate. So it's not even like he's allowing 20% home run per fly ball. He's not allowing a ton of hard contact. So to me, from there, I went, how is this actually possible? I really think it was the Red Sox defense. You I was had, about to say, that was like, you haven't even mentioned the Red Sox defense. One of the worst defensive teams in all of 2021 was behind his back. I mean, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, they can't field on the left side of the infield. Absolutely. So, so yeah, it was the Red Sox defense. Devers and Bogarts accounted for negative 18 defensive runs saved in 2021. Mm, the outfield defense good. was solid. Kike was, you know, solid in center field. I mean, he was one of the best center fielders in baseball, but that doesn't make up for how bad that left side of the, uh, infield defense was for Erod and aside from that I mean you can really it's it's a small like we think of a major league season as 162 games you know Erod made 32 33 starts like that's a large sample but in reality that is a small sample like a very small sample a lot of weird things can happen over a season guys can overperform guys can underperform and it just seemed like balls were bouncing not Erod's way. So going into 2022, that is now he's moving to Comerica park, which is a very pitcher friendly park. It has the lowest park factor for home runs of any stadium, which means that it is the hardest ballpark to hit home runs in. And that favors Erod. Absolutely. Um, You know, he's pretty split as to giving up ground balls versus fly balls, but the tigers defense, I was hoping when I looked, Let's hope that they're good. They struggled last year. They were the fifth worst defense, according to DRS, defensive run saved. Um, But Riley Green should come up this year. He's a good defender. They just signed Javier Baez, who is another really good defender. Is he a really Um, good defender? Is Javier Baez? Yeah. I I think he's a really good defender, especially at second base. When you put him at second base, he's a really good defender. At shortstop, I think he gets, you know, he, he tries to make a little too many flashy plays. I think at second base, he's, able to make those flashy plays the the throw in isn't as much and um but i really do think 2022 is going to favor erod the baseball guy on that i think i get behind that my only question about erod is it's weird because when you throw a fastball i mean erod doesn't throw a fastball as much as other pitchers because he's got so many different offerings but the fact of the matter is ever since erod came in the league his fastball is the most hittable pitch in his arsenal. Does that matter to you at all when you're looking? Because I would rather when I see a guy who is predominantly throwing a fastball and that fastball is not as hittable. I like, I tend to like those kind of guys. Does that, does that matter to you? I think it absolutely does matter. And all we've seen for the last 10 years, maybe not that long, eight years of baseball is guys decreasing their fastball usage and finding success. The first guy that comes to mind when I think of that is Masahiro Tanaka, right? He stopped throwing his fastball started throwing a slider more and he succeeded, you know, tremendously. Um, one of my favorite pitchers, but that, that is a theme you will see in these breakout pitchers is some of these guys have, you know, struggled with their fastball. The next guy we'll talk about Tristan McKenzie, you know, break right in that up a little bit, but he's another guy that struggles with fastball and, and has elite secondaries. Yeah. Cause I love Tristan McKenzie. The lanky six foot seven, he looks like, even though he's more closer to six four. He's got incredible tilt. I mean, he just spins off an absolute bender of a breaking ball. And that curveball, 
Talk about that curveball because it's one of the best pitches in baseball. Yes. So Tristan McKenzie's curveball is the fourth best pitch in baseball from a starting pitcher. That is right. If you get into relievers, some of those guys can have the crazy, crazy stuff. Fourth best pitch in baseball is Tristan McKenzie's curveball. I think so. What was it? What are the other ones, Pete? I have them here. Okay. Shohei Otani's splitter is number one. Corbin Burns curveball is number two. Jacob DeGrom slider is number three. Tristan McKenzie curveball, number four. And Chris Paddock, another shocker at number five with his curveball. And this is for all the listeners out there. This is uh, rated by Woba against. So taking everything, it's not whiff rate. It's not K percentage against. It's Woba against. This is limiting hard contact as well. You like him, huh? So what are you projecting for Tristan McKenzie? Like, how do you see him bouncing back so strong? So the reason I see him bouncing back, there's, there's a couple of reasons. So at the beginning of the year, Tristan McKenzie could not find the strike zone in the slightest. He walked yeah. 39 guys in 42 innings. He then was demoted to AAA. And then he comes back after the all-star break and kind of finds his stride. He was still giving up some runs, um, but he only walked 19 batters over 77 innings. And this was a guy, I don't know if you remember, but he almost threw a no hitter last year. He did. He was like a few outs away from a no hitter. And that's, that's the ceiling we're seeing with a guy that's still 24 years old. I mean, this was really his, his rookie season, his breakout year that we expected. Um, but this is a guy that's still very young. The change that he will need to make in order to succeed in 2022 is as we were saying uh, prior about Erod and his fastball, McKenzie needs to stop going to his fastball so much he throws his fastball 62 percent of the time which is crazy that's one of the highest rates in the league um and he throws his slider so we were talking about the curveball and how good the curveball is the slider is almost as good i mean it has a 45 percent whiff rate uh, a woba of 233 against an amazing pitch too so the combination of the curveball and slider he only throws 38 percent between those two pitches shane bieber his teammate, he needs to take a note from his teammate, Shane Bieber, who is certifiably a top three starting pitcher in the league. Just an absolute stud. He needs to take note from Shane Bieber, who throws his curveball and slider 55% of the time combined. If McKenzie decreases that fastball usage, you need, still need that fastball there, you know, to show you have it. But if you throw slider curveball more, you're only decreasing the amount of times guys see that fastball and can eat that fastball. And I just have so much confidence in the Guardians' ability to develop their pitching as well. I mean, you just go through the rotation. There's so many good names in there. And even a guy like Aaron Savali took a big step forward last year. And then Cal Quantrill. Um, I know his peripherals weren't that good. But what I do know is that, first of all, I'm wearing my Not Gambling Advice shirt, which you can find in the, in the description of this podcast episode. But the the Guardians, well, the Indians at the time, were my most commonly bet on team. And the reason why, I was trailing a lot of these Guardians starting pitchers, similar to McKenzie. But McKenzie kind of pissed me off sometimes because I was so high on him. And I would go in loving, loving the bet, Tristan McKenzie versus anybody in in that AL Central. And sometimes he got bombed a little bit. And I noticed it's because his fastball is 92. It is high spin, but at the end of the day, it's still 92. And it was just, it looked very hittable. And I agree with you. If he could take a note out of Shane Bieber, and I bet you he does. Like there, I, I feel like he's going to learn this offseason and come back really strong. And if he can get that up to 55% between the slider and the curveball, I mean, we got a potential, what? A potential two in a rotation? 
Absolutely. So the problem with the fastball, Pete, the reason why the fastball is so hittable for McKenzie is it only moves three and a half inches horizontally. The thing is as straight as an arrow. I mean, you can just tee that thing up. It's basically on a tee at how straight it is. Well, you know who's got a pretty electric fastball, but sometimes it got hit, but he throws a hundred. Jesus Lazardo of the Marlins has got to bounce back. His stuff is just too electric. He was traded for Starling Marte to the Oakland A's and coming back in that deal. And the Marlins were looking at, hey, I mean, we got a young, controllable starting pitcher who throws gas. He's got good off-speed stuff, but he struggled with the Marlins. But in the back half, we started to see some of those developments. So why do you like Jesus Lazardo to bounce back in 2022 so much? Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's not sugarcoat it. He was bad in 2021. We did and fade him sometimes. Absolutely. This is this is a guy that's more on the dark horse bounce back side. I mean, this is not as this is a guy I'm not as solid on in 2022 as McKenzie and Erod. Those are just like my locks. Yeah. This is a guy though that I think we should absolutely not give up on, and I think the Marlins are not giving up on him. One of the reasons I really like him is that he's a Miami guy. He grew up in Fort Lauderdale. He's at home now. He's going to be working out all winter in Fort Lauderdale in Miami with his fellow teammates, with the help of the coaching staff with the Marlins, all that. He's at home now, which is nice. I think that that's a big thing. Right? That's, that's something that the numbers aren't going to show, but I think that's a big thing. The other thing is this is a guy that finished the season pretty strong. His last outing of the year was a, he went five and a third, 11 Ks, no walks, one earned. And that was the problem for him all season was the walks. And this is a guy that has not walked. I think I think he was hurt last year. I think there was something going on there. He like had shoulder issues. There was something going on there where he could not find the zone. Um, he was walking, you know, like 12% of batters once he got to Miami. And Much. that's just not who he was for his entire career. His, yeah. his career walk rate was around 7%. And so if he goes, if he regresses towards that career walk rate i think he'll find success because his curveball is lethal it is a lethal lethal pitch um the fastball can be hittable but it it still gets whiffs and um you know if a guy is walking a lot of batters his location was not good last year his command was not good a return to some better command the use of that curveball um and a return home i think he's the perfect bounce back candidate and I saw in your article, too, that he could pick up some tips from Trevor Rogers, who was unreal in his rookie campaign for the Marlins. What do you think that he should take out of his playbook? I wouldn't say that he needs to take anything out of his playbook. I think he needs to add a third pitch. He has a changeup that he's Trevor doesn't Rogers. really throw that off. He only, he only throws it about 7% of the time. And yet it's a really strong pitch. It, it found great results in the limited usage he used it i mean he he had 30 percent whiff rate on it and guys were grounding out against it um i think that's the perfect complimentary pitch for a guy that gets beat on just using fastball curveball and if you're only going to use fastball curveball then are you just drew pomerantz are you going to have to come out of the pen that's my one concern for him and i still think he would be a very good reliever out of the pen high leverage guy but it's like is that what we're expecting on him absolutely not this is a guy that's still 24 years old and you know was expected to be a number one or number two and it's funny in the Mar- the marlins rotation it's so strong right now and we're hearing about other guys i mean first just on the major league roster sandy alcantara 
you know, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, and then you go down to guys like Edward Cabrera, who's an MLB The Show legend, but he's actually also a pretty good pitcher in his own right. And then there's just, there's a lot of guys. Do you see Jesus Cesardo making that rotation opening day? Because it's going to be a bit challenging because they just have a ton of arms. I think he will. I think if he shows in spring, I mean, spring training is going to be big for him and, and him coming out strong in spring training will, you know, be necessary. But yeah, they're going to have to wait on guys like Max Meyer. And I don't even think it's, it's, you know, I don't even think Eddie might not make it out of spring training. That That's a possibility as well. He might need more seasoning in AAA as well. He didn't perform that well in the majors last year. He got beat up. He did get kind of beat up. And my, I think this is my favorite guy on your list, maybe besides Tristan McKenzie, but I do really think that this guy in particular will bounce back. John Gray. He moved over to the Texas Rangers. He's finally out of Coors Field. And it just, hasn't it always felt like John Gray was just way better than what he was in Colorado? And he just never had that shot because I was even, I was looking at a lot of these Colorado pitchers and it seems very clear that for some reason, fastball slider guys are more effective in Coors Field. And weirdly enough, Herman Marquez is probably the greatest pitcher in Colorado history. And the fact is that his fastball, although it's high in velo, it's not very high in spin. And a lot of his pitches are like that. And those seem to work better in Colorado. So I'm curious to what you think the change will be from Colorado to the Texas Rangers for John Gray. Yeah. So first to answer your question, why the low spin fastball works in cores is that uh, cores field decreases movement on all sides. It decreases vertical movement. So pitchers don't get that rise effect in course field. So a low spin fastball will be good because the idea of a low spin fastball is it's deceptive and that it will actually want to drop more. That's the mm-hmm. idea. Um, but pitches do not move horizontally well in course field either. So those sweeper sliders that we're seeing be so effective in, in baseball now, they don't succeed in Colorado, which is amazing why Adovino was able to succeed there for so long. That's but just back to John Gritters. This is an escape from hell, from prison. Say what you want. It is an escape, not a breakout. This is an escape. Um, this is a guy that has had a fifth below four, I think, every single year of his career. And yet his ERAs are always over four and a half. Um, I don't think there's much to say here about like, oh, he did this. He needs to change this. I think he just needs to be John Gray, just not in course field. <laughs> I also think it's more mentally. Is like even beyond the numbers, the fact that you are in an organization that you know just doesn't have the data that other teams do. They're more unprepared. And then you move them over to Texas. Like, this is an exciting team. You got Corey Seager, you got Marcus Semyon coming in. I'm sure they're also not done. And it just feels like John Gray moving over from a, a, a literal hellhole in Colorado to a very exciting team, I feel like that's just going to make him grind more in the offseason and then come back and just be a really solid pitcher. Where do you see John Gray stacking up in the American League when it's all said and done? Because I kind of think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be in the top 20 American League pitchers, and I don't even think that's that much of a stretch. I don't think that's a stretch at all, Peter. Um, I think it's going to be hard to rank him as that going into the season. Um, But I think... By year's end, we could absolutely see him as, you know, we could view John Gray as a top 30 starting pitcher. He has that upside. Now, is that who he is today without seeing that? Absolutely not. But yes, you bring up a great point about, you know, mentally pitching in course field is detrimental, man. I mean, 
there's something called the course hangover effect where they travel in and out of that elevation. That does something to them. That does something to your body that you can't even explain. I mean, and they were always saying for years, oh, the Rockies pitchers just need to run more. They need to have better cardio. No, there's something mentally to your brain that, that, that it does to you going in and out of elevation. Think about it, dude. You know that your ball is not going to move as much at home versus away. Like you have to completely adjust the way you pitch. Like, and that's a day in, day out. Like you have a start in Colorado, then you travel to Arizona, then you go to Atlanta, then back to Colorado. Like you have to continually update your repertoire like no other pitcher has to. So that mental break, almost like, oh my God. Now I don't need to do that anymore. All I have to do, and I'm not even in the National League. So I'm not even, I didn't move to the NL West. I didn't go to the Giants. I didn't go to the Dodgers. Like I am now gone. I'm in Texas. I'm in the American League. I don't have to do that anymore. And with the universal DH, it might not matter that now he's going to face, you know. And also this, um, this these lineups in the AL West are going to be pretty strong, but Carlos Correa is leaving the division, but then you replace in that division now with Corey Seager and Marcus Semyon, but the great part is they're on his team. So it's just going to be a generally, eh, angels are going to be pretty good with Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon coming back, but I'm still confident that John Gray is going to be good. It's not like the NL, NL West was weak anyway, so it is what it is. It's a good point. Another guy who to end on for you, but then we're going to touch into some more guys as well. Adbert Alzali is one of Jack's favorite pitchers. Uh, for the Chicago Cubs. And he's a young guy. He didn't have a ton of success when he came up. But when I watch him, I think this stuff plays. And he seems like he's going to be a good pitcher. But when I say good, it's so... Tell me what good means. Because I think he can be above average. But I don't know how high this guy's ceiling is. Yeah, I think his ceiling is slotting it as like a three, four guy, but I think there's so, that's there's something still so to be said about that. that. Um, definitely some value and, and definitely value for a Cubs franchise that is seemingly going forward in 2022. I mean, they are making signings. They signed Stroman. They're rumored to be in on Correa. Um, so this is a guy that could really, you know, propel that rebuild or retooling that they're doing. Um I think good, yeah, as a three to four guy, he struggled with the home run bug last year. He gave up 24 home runs in his first 22 starts, and that was what bit him in the butt. Um, but then he moved to the pen at the end of the year and only allowed three runs over 19 and a third innings to finish the year, only one home run over that span. Um, but again, this is a guy that has two pitches. It's, it's so tough. It's so, so tough. Um, he's fastball sinker. And he throws a slider 40% of the time, which is great. He's already using that pitch an extreme amount. He's finding success with that. Um, he was giving up home runs to the fastball all year long, though. And he That's throws a fastball and a sinker, a four-seamer and a, and a sinker. It's just like, figure out which one. So why? So I'm still like, why do you like him? Because I do think that he's going to be better than he was, but I'm still not confident that he's going to be that great. Because when I look at two pitch guys, like your fastball has to be so unhittable. If you're actually going to survive as an MLB pitcher with two pitches guys, like I was even looking at, I was like, Oh, could Brady singer bounce back. But then I think to myself, well, he's a two pitch guy. Like and his yeah. fastball is kind of hittable. Like, I'm not confident in dudes like that. So convince me. Why is Al Albert Alzali like going to be even better? So 
the thing we see a lot with fastball guys that struggle is their fastball just isn't good. Um, Azalei breaks that. He his fastball is really good. It's it's ninety five to ninety seven. Has great movement. Um, the problem is he leaves over the middle of the plate. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's getting down to it. That's how you give up twenty four home runs and twenty two starts. You just leave pitches down the middle. Um, but something definitely clicked there at the end of the season where he was he only gave up three runs out of the pen. And it's not like these uh, appearances out of the pen were for you know to face one batter obviously you can't do that now but like these weren't just innings inning appearances he was going two to three innings out of the pen and succeeding uh so that makes me believe that there's something there that he he mentally made a switch and made a switch to his command um and again yes this isn't a guy that i'm expecting to break out and be an ace but i this is a guy that i'm expecting to be an impact pitcher at the major league level next season all right I can kind of get behind it because I do remember watching that fastball and it being kind of fast and kind of, kind of electric, but it was just getting hit. And I I think you're right. When you look at the heat map, it's pretty middle, just pretty middle and another guy. So now I want to break, I want to throw some guys back at you and I want to start with this guy because it, first of all, we've already talked about him. And when you look at his heat map, the fastball is right down the middle. If this guy can figure out how to locate, I do think that he's going to bounce back and be a good pitcher. Does and that guy in Philadelphia. What'd you say? Does he play in Philadelphia? No, he does not play in Philadelphia. He plays in San Diego and his name is Chris Paddock. So Chris Paddock had a 5.07 ERA versus a 3.78 FIP. And I'll say it again. The problem with Paddock is that his fastball was just so hittable, but his off-speed stuff has always been so strong. You cited the fact that his curveball ranks as a top five pitch in Major League Baseball, according to Woba. And if he can figure out a way to just improve that fastball command, I feel like he could still have a solid season. I'm not going to give up on Chris Paddock, even though maybe during the regular season last year, he was the ultimate fade because you just get bombed all the time. But when you watch him, his his curveball, like his stuff is nasty. He's got presence. He's still, he was a former top prospect. He still feels like a good pitcher, but when he throw that fastball and I implore you go on baseball savant and look at the fastball heat map of Chris Paddock. It is the most middle red thing I've ever seen. Like, can you locate up in the zone? Can you locate at the bottom of the zone? Can you go within the corners? Like I still see potential in Chris Paddock. And I think even the ERA to the FIP kind of exemplifies that. Do you like that? Absolutely. I think this was a guy that I pondered about writing about, um, but I didn't for that reason. And I think you're spot on, Pete. This was a guy that in the minor leagues, when he was with Miami and then traded to the Padres, that was seen as a fleecing because Paddock looked like an ace in the minor leagues. Um, But he's always been a command guy. And the pitch you didn't even mention is the changeup. His changeup is notoriously an amazing pitch um yeah all he has to do is is stop getting beaten with that fastball right down the middle um so whether that's changing his repertoire um going to the curveball and change up more or whether that's you know finding an area of the zone where that fastball is able to be effective i think that's going to be the biggest thing for him i do like him i don't know like i could see chris paddock with an era under four next year or I could see Chris Paddock just continue to throw the fastball down the middle and just have a really rough season again. I really think all it is with him is fastball command. When you're talking ceiling, this is a guy that could absolutely be a 3-3. And, and just What's talk stopping like, him? 
you're about to release the Just Fantasy Baseball show, which is going to go live on our network starting in 2022, Jan 1. We're kicking it off with some fantasy baseball content. You're going to be able to hear Colby, and it's just going to be a slew of, of just baseball guests. It's going to be, I'm going to be hopping on there. Jack's going to be hopping on there. Aram, Ethan, Ryan, the whole hobby, the whole gang, because we got to talk fan and Dusty and Derek. Like, this is going to be a great show. And you guys can obviously tell by Colby, he knows his stuff. And I like diving into the numbers with you. So that's something you guys will definitely have to check out. And we'll keep you updated on when that is announced. So here's another guy. Here's another guy. Logan Gilbert. I do like Logan Gilbert, even though I don't think his stuff is that electric. I just think he has great pitchability. He had a 4.68 ERA compared to a 3.73 FIP. So there's a big difference there. But opponents crushed his changeup, which I thought was kind of supposed to be his best offering. They hit 364 against it this year. But we talked about expected stats. It only had an expected batting average of 185. So even though the the results were not as great, it seemed like it wasn't a lot of hard contact against the changeup. And the funny thing about it is, is he really only threw it to left-handed hitters. He only threw it twice to righties this entire season. And then you go through the rest of his pitches, dude, like the rest of his pitches are kind of electric. Peter, Logan Gilbert is one of my favorite pitchers in baseball. Let me just, can I just run you through these numbers real quick? Please. Like, 254 batting average against the forcing fastball, which he threw 61 and a half percent of the time. Like, and look only at the whips on that slugging, pitch. Like, and then we go to the slider, 211 off the slider, and he threw that 23.9 percent of the time. And I guess maybe the changeup isn't his best pitch because he didn't throw it. He only threw it eight percent of the time. But I, when coming up, I just felt like Logan Gilbert's changeup was that pitch. So the there there's context to this, and so Logan Gilbert. Let me preface this. Logan Gilbert's one of my favorite pitching prospects in baseball, or he's not a prospect anymore, but last year he's, he's one of my favorite pitchers. This guy gets whiffs on his fastball, which is rare. Mm-hmm. We're talking, talking all episode about guys that have terrible fastballs. This is a guy that has a great fastball uh, sliders electric. He was tinkering with it. This is a thing. Logan Gilbert was tinkering with his pitches all year long last year and trying to figure out that changeup. When he came up, he didn't throw his changeup for I think six or seven starts. Like it took him a while for him to be confident enough with that changeup in the major leagues to throw it. And I think all winter long for him, he's going to be figuring out that changeup and figuring out how to attack batters with it. Um, So going into 2022, I think this is the guy that we should have been talking about all episode. Right. Come on now. I mean, Logan Gilbert, it just seems like everything is going to start to click for him because he's still just such a young guy. I mean, he's 24 years old. He was a first-round pick. Um, and then you look you look at some of, like, the fastball velocity. Like you said, it's in the 79th percentile, but it's just got good movement. And when you look at the heat map, like, he, he locates it pretty well. And even sometimes when he leaves it middle, it's just kind of a hard pitch to hit. He's in the Nestor Cortez, you know, I don't know what word I'm missing here, but he's like Nestor Cortez where that fastball – is so deceptive that guys don't pick it up. Yeah. They miss he comes from that, that, that weird angle, like over the top and he creates that tilt. Like it, it just, he just looks like a good pitcher. And when I saw four, six, eight ERA, and then I saw the expected batting average against that changeup and just, it, it seemed like a lot of blue pits. 
fell for yep. Logan Gilbert this year. And that's not something that we're projecting going. I mean, you can't, you can't project blue hit. It's just impossible. So that just happens. That's what's called unlucky in baseball. And that's what a lot of these pitchers had, which is kind of unlucky years that we think coming into next season, they can kind of unlock. So happy you brought him up, man. So, so happy. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with this. I am going to drop my early NL Cy Young pick here on here on the show today. My pick for NL Cy Young in 2022 is Julio Urias. Okay, tell me why. So, Julio Urias is easily the best pitcher we're not talking about. Maybe we're talking about him, but not to the extent that he is a top six to eight pitcher in baseball. Last what? season... Last season, yeah, I kid you not. Last season, he had a 2.96 ERA, a 3.13 FIP. He was fourth in XERA. He does not give up home runs. He had the fourth lowest home run to fly ball rate, and that's been the same throughout his career. His career home run to fly ball rate is between 9 and 10%. He had the second lowest walk rate in baseball. He gave up the second least amount of hard contact last year. And I know we do not care about this, but he went 20 and three last year, which Still is sucks. just cool. It's just cool. <laughs> which is just cool. He strikes out everyone. He does not walk batters. He does every single thing that we want a pitcher to do. And he has the pedigree. He was the number one prospect in all of baseball, number one pitching prospect in all of baseball. That was five years ago now. But still, remember, this guy just turned 25. So he came up when he was 20, and he's finally hitting his stride. He pitched 185 innings last season. He's probably going to you know, go 200 next season. He is my pick for Sion. I think he will have an ERA between 2-3 and 2-5, and he's going to lead the Dodgers without Scherzer. Wow. So you think he's going to be better than Bueller next year? I think I think he could definitely be better than Bueller. Because that's high praise. Because I actually Walker Bueller's my pick to win the NL Cy Young next year. I mean, two Dodgers. And but but the thing is why I love I love what you're saying is because if you think about it, who is probably the smartest organization in baseball? Could you say the Dodgers? I mean, you could say the Giants, you could say the Rays, you could maybe even say the A's, but I mean, you're shaking your head. Who would you call the smartest organization in baseball in your mind? You're spot on. I think it's the Dodgers because yeah. they, they one, have some of the smartest people that work for them, but they, too, have all the money in the world to make it happen. And who's the one pitcher that they ride like nobody else in the playoffs in everything? It's Julio. First of all, is it Julio Arias or Julio Arias? I think it's Arias. It might be Arias. I might have botched that. Sorry, Julio. <laughs> but regardless, I mean, this is an electric pitcher. And I'm, I am, now that you're kind of saying that, I am a little bit more excited because this guy, I mean, he gets Fernando Venezuela comps for a reason. I mean, he came up as a 20-year-old and ever since he broke into the big leagues has been one of the better pitchers in the National League. And as he breaks into his prime, this is kind of when – he'll explode my only my only concern with Julio Arias and this isn't for next season this is just you know looking forward to the rest of his career he's thrown so many innings dude like so many innings do you think that this could be a guy who has an incredible peak has an incredible 20s 
but then really starts to tail off into his 30s? Or do you think that this is just a golden arm who's going to last for years? So he actually has not thrown that many innings despite being in the league for five years now. His, his career total in innings is 424 innings. So, I mean, when you think about it, that's like hmm. a little less than two and a half seasons. Um, so that's not that many. Not it's counting playoffs, easy. though. Uh, that does not account for playoffs. So good, good catch there. He's and I think he's 50, thrown like 700 innings in the playoffs. He's thrown 53 playoff innings. So okay. the final total is, you know, 480 innings. Okay. Not that it's many. not terrible. I guess I kind of just thought that he did. I should have looked at the amount of innings before the podcast, but the fact of the matter is it just seems like he's been in the league for so long, but I mean, that bodes well. I mean, I and that's, that, and that's a narrative that I feel like people fall into exactly like I fell into it is that Julio Arias has just been in the league for so long. His arm's going to tire out, but in reality, he hasn't actually thrown that many innings, which is interesting because he has been in the league for five years. Literally last season, 2021, was the first year that, that the Dodgers let him loose, that they had him in the rotation all year, and he threw 180 innings, and he had 5.1 war in his first real taste of being a, a starter at 24 years old. At 25 years old, this guy is entering literally his peak prime years from 25 to 30. He wins if he doesn't. He's my pick for Cy Young next year, but if he doesn't win it next year, he's going to win one in the next three to five years. I'm with that. So, everybody, you can catch Colby starting the new Just Fantasy show on the Just Baseball Media Network, and that will be releasing January 1. Like I said, we're going to have all of the people on it. We talk advanced analytics. We're going to give you the deepest analytic approach, but we're also just going to have some fun and talk fantasy baseball because that's what it is. It is fun, but you want the edge, and the edge is what you're going to get here because we're smart. We, we, can, we can screw around about maple syrup and something I heard yesterday. And then the opposite end, we can talk about horizontal spin on fastballs. I mean, that's just who we are. Sick. I am such a baseball geek, man. This is what I do. <laughs> and this is why I especially wanted to talk to you because not only are you for sure geek, but then again, we all are. I mean, we're talking about baseball five days a week. We all have to be geeks in our own right. But what I'm excited because you know pitching, I think more than hitting, like I trust your opinion on pitching, except I think he, when are you going to answer for the fact that you called Kenta Maeda like a top 10 pitcher and better than Max Scherzer, you freak show? Man, that was a tough take for me going into 2020. I've had horrible takes. I just, you almost never, so I had to call you out right now. I thank the Lord. I'm sorry, Kenta. I thank the Lord that you got hurt going into 2022. So I don't have to rank you somewhere because you're just, I didn't want to screw up twice, twice, two years in a row. (laughs) Sorry, Kenta. Wait, so can can you just recap that a little bit? Like, why why did you see Kenta Maeda as, like, that guy? He was that guy in 2020. I mean, he, he was – the problem with Kenta going into 2021 or what happened in 2021 was he – his stuff just disappeared. I don't know where it went. I don't know. He He's on the older side. I guess he's 33. But, like, his stuff disappeared. The fastball was getting lit up. The slider wasn't moving like it did in 2020. Um, I mean, maybe that's a ball issue. Maybe that's a sticky stuff issue. Um, Whatever it was, something was definitely up and then he got hurt. So I'm thinking maybe it was an injury that I didn't know about going into the year. There was something there that Kenzo Maeda was not the Kenzo Maeda 
that he was in 2020. And even before that, in 2019, he was very, very good. He was a good pitcher for the Dodgers. It's just, you go, you go to Minnesota and it's just like, when's the last time like Minnesota had like a really good pitcher? Barrios isn't like, I feel like Barrios even is, is like, he's always just been good. Like, yes, he's good. He's good, pitcher. but he's not elite sick. Um, Michael Pineda. Yeah, man. Sick for the twins. <laughs> he was sick. Like Johan Santana. Is that, is that the last we're... one? That might be. I'm trying to rack my brain. They've had some good pitchers. They have hitting. Like that's that's what Minnesota does. They hit the ball out of the ballpark, but it's always like a nine seven game. They that's broke the home run record in a season. Not too shabby. Well, you can find all the links to our merch. You got to get a not gambling advice tee for the holidays. We have still our just baseball postseason shirt sponsored by Pillbox. That link is in the description as well. That's also still on sale as we break into the new year. That's one of the sexiest shirts i own i mean it fits like a glove i mean tell me about it peter i feel so cool walking around my not gambling advice shirt i was just in vegas two weekends ago i went to the the circa you know brand new sports book biggest sports book in the world wearing that thing i got questions asked about it it was cool i just felt so cool walking around a casino wearing not gambling advice you know what's not cool the fact that i am so confident in the kansas city chiefs to cover the spread against the Los Angeles Chargers on Thursday night football that I put out on our TikTok, not the just baseball fans TikTok, but our just gridiron fans where I give out um, an NFL pick for every single game or not every single game, but three picks on Sunday, one pick on Monday, one pick on Thursday. Sometimes I'll take an under, but they've been crushing me lately. I am jumping in a lake in Florida that might have a gator in it because I'm that confident that the Chiefs are going to cover the spread. So if you made it this long to the end of the podcast, Go check at just gridiron fans um, if the Chargers end up covering that because I will be jumping in a lake. Go Chargers, go. (laughs) Thank you, everybody.